you've heard the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words. And it really is amazing how a photograph can capture the beauty of a place or the essence of an event or even an aspect of a person or a friendship that's absolutely incredible. Art, a portrait, a landscape can depict deeper nuances of a place or a person through shades and colors. And it's why one could spend hours, even weeks or years, studying the work of a master artist. But here's the thing. One photo, one painting, one portrait, one landscape cannot begin to fully express the depth and the complexity and the totality of a person or a place. This is why... Artists and photographers and graphic designers and architects give their clients or their prospective clients a portfolio. Here is an example of my body of work. You remember the theme of Luke's gospel? Woody preached a sermon about it several months ago from the very beginning of Luke. Luke wrote to us an orderly account of the life of Christ so that we might have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught. And in God's mercy and God's kindness, chapter by chapter, story by story, verse by verse, we get different aspects of the life of Christ. We're taught about Jesus. Not only in Luke's gospel, but in Matthew, Mark, and John, we get to see a portfolio of the body of work of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. We, we not only get to see his birth and his baptism and his temptation, his miracles, the cross and the empty tomb, we get to see more aspects, expressions, perspectives of who Christ is, his heart, his labor, his mission. Yes, the picture is worth a thousand words, but the Gospels give us so many snapshots and pictures of the radical love and grace of God in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at one of those snapshots, one of those pictures where we see the heart of Jesus. And the theme of Jesus' lordship is continuing to unfold in Luke's Gospel, that Jesus has power, he has authority And this morning, we see that power and authority expressed in three aspects. We see opportunity, faith, and grace. So let's dive in and look at the passage together. The first thing I want us to think about is opportunity. We've all known people who've said something like this. When you're hurt or disappointed or heartbroken, sidelined, sick, washed out, They come along and say, think about it this way. This is an opportunity for you to grow. Uh, (laughs) That's a not so nice way to say, kind of stinks to be you, but uh, maybe something good can come out of this. And we've all probably said it at the wrong time and in the wrong way, but the reality is, it's true. It really is true. Our regrets, our pain, our disappointments, our failures, our hurt, they really can be used by God 
to show us what we're holding on to. They can serve as an opportunity, part of Christ's portfolio, to show us how much we need Him. That's exactly what happens here. What was this man's opportunity? It was the worst part about his life, his leprosy. We read about leprosy in the Bible. The Old Testament has all these ceremonial laws concerning leprosy. Uh, If you look through uh, Leviticus in chapter 13, there are almost 60 verses about leprosy in the Bible right there. We read about Naaman from 2 Kings chapter 5 being healed of leprosy. And the general definition of leprosy is a skin disorder, just a general skin disorder in the Bible. But here in Luke 5, it's clear that something else was going on. This was something very serious. The Bible says that this man, verse 12, was full of leprosy. We would say he was eaten up with leprosy. It wasn't simply a rash or acne. He had a debilitating, crushing, horrible disease. And think about some of the aspects that he faced. He was in physical pain. There was no treatment for the causes or the symptoms of leprosy. He probably had sores and wounds and warts and rashes all over his body. If he had what is currently called Hansen's disease, he would have lost feeling in his extremities. They would get infected and injured, kind of like a diabetic who experiences neuropathy today. He had physical pain. He also dealt with uh, social pain. You know, leprosy was thought to be highly contagious. So people would go out of their way to avoid someone who had leprosy. In fact, if you were to enter into public and you had this disease, you know what you had to do. You had to cry out unclean, unclean if you came near others. Often lepers lived isolated lives outside the city. In part because of the pressure from the society and in part because they didn't want to interact with people themselves. Think about how exhausting the stares and the gasps and the looks and people shielding their children and rushing them away must have been. It'd just be easier to live outside the city. People's careers were taken away from them. Any semblance of social life would be taken away because of this disease, because of their sickness. And we get a glimpse of this. Imagine going to church or to school or to work and someone comes in, they're coughing and they're clammy and they're sweaty and they say, ah, I don't know, I think I might be coming down with a flu. Well, you avoid those people. No, you cannot hold my baby. Um, and and we, we get a, a small sense of what that's like. There was also emotional pain. Try to imagine the trauma that this man must have felt every time he looked at himself. And if he could see a reflection of his own face, maybe in the water. I am unclean. I'm disgusting. I'm worthless. 
And you know that he had to go through spiritual pain as well. A debilitating disease like this with physical, emotional, and social implications, it's got to have an impact on your spiritual life. Think about some of the questions that he may have asked or posed to God. Why me? Where are you, God? I thought you loved me. Why would you let me go through this? Are you there? Do you exist? All these things, as horrible and traumatic as they were, they did serve as an opportunity for this man to embrace his powerlessness over the circumstances of his life and his great need for help and healing and hope from someone outside of himself. And as you might imagine, that someone was Jesus Christ. He had plenty of opportunities in his life. To understand his powerlessness. What about ours? We've been through hurt and pain and disappointment in our lives. Maybe not to the same extent as this man. Maybe not in the same way. But I know that you have pain and trauma and hurt and need in your life. You've experienced physical pain. Slipped discs. Torn ligaments. Shattered heels. Chronic pain. And even the physical pain of others hurting and using and abusing you. We've experienced the social stigmas of our own mistakes and sin. Or of making decisions for Christ that alienate you from other people. Emotionally, we've experienced the pain of losing loved ones or having friendships strained. Carrying our shame and the weight of the sin of others. And spiritually, we've gone through crises of faith. Hurt and betrayed by Christians. Having deep questions for God Himself. We have plenty of opportunities to recognize our powerlessness in life. Here's the thing. A lot of times, when we see... Our pain, our struggles, our hurt, it can move us in one of two directions. It can move us toward bitterness and resentment, or it can move us toward humility and willingness. And I don't say that in some sanctimonious way or self-righteous way, like I have it all figured out. I'm dealing with, and I have dealt with, plenty of resentment and bitterness in my life. If that's where you are this morning, my prayer for you and for me is that the light and mercy of Jesus Christ will help you move toward a place of willingness and humility away from bitterness and resentment. Because the opportunities in our lives, the challenges in our lives, they really can show us how much we need Jesus Christ. I'll never forget talking to my mom several years ago about some of my personal struggles and she told me about one of her friends who used to love to say this I'm so glad that God made me an alcoholic and the first time she told me that I thought that is crazy why would anyone say anything like that and she went on to say he, he would say the next phrase was Because it was the only way God could get my attention. Now I don't know about the theological uh, properness of that statement. But it does illustrate something. That man's 
a powerlessness over alcohol was a breakthrough in his life to reach out and to ask for God to help him. Has a pain and difficulty in your life moved you in the same direction? That's what we see from this letter. My hope is that it will continue to happen with us as well. So he has plenty of opportunity in his life. The second thing I want us to think about this morning is faith. It's one of the most basic aspects of Christianity, right? So often misunderstood. Jesus talked about faith the size of mustard seed, being able to move mountains. The writer of the Hebrews wrote that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But what is biblical faith? What does it mean to trust and rest and rely on God to believe in Jesus Christ? This is part of Christ's portfolio to show us what faith really means, what it means to believe in Jesus. We see it from this leper. There isn't a dissertation written about him. We don't have the backstory or the details of his life. But when this man, full of leprosy, came face to face with Jesus, he shows us what faith in God is all about. First thing the Bible says about it, I love this. Look at verse uh, 12. He, when he saw Jesus. That's one of the first things we see, that he saw Jesus. Have you guys ever heard of your elevator speech? You've got like 30 seconds, maybe a minute to pitch to the CEO, to the owner of the company, your dream, your product, yourself, when you happen to be on the elevator alone with them. This man saw Jesus and he may have, must have known that Messiah was promised, word had traveled, that Jesus was here. And when he saw Jesus, he said to himself, maybe he could help me. Maybe he will heal me. Second thing that demonstrates faith, not just that he saw Jesus, but his posture toward Jesus. What does he do? He fell on his face and begged him. He pleaded, he prayed, he worshipped, he humbled himself before the Lord Christ. He didn't presume, he didn't blame, he didn't accuse. He came with open hands to God and a humble heart to Jesus. What is your posture toward God? And then we see his plea, it expresses faith. His plea is a plea of boldness. It's interesting. With this humility also came boldness. With his request, his plea is filled with faith. It's bold and courageous. He put himself out there. He didn't care about the consequences. That can be one of the blessings, one of the results of end of your rope. um, No other way out circumstances in your lives. They create, they make, they force you to plead for God to have mercy on you. And so he said, if you if you will or if you're willing, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. You can make me whole, Jesus. You can make this entire nightmare go away in an instant. You remember Jacob in the Old Testament when he wrestled with God all night long 
What gave Jacob the boldness, the audacity to say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me? It was a life of trying to run the show himself. It was a life of scheming and working the system and manipulating people and living by fear. It was actually an expression of humility and surrender that gave him the boldness to say, I will not let you go until you bless me because I have nowhere else to go. I have nothing else to stand on. I've tried it all and I can't do it on my own. You're the only one who can help me, God. Even though it's expressed a little bit differently here, it's that same sentiment. This leper's faith was in Christ, and it's an example for us of biblical faith. So so what about our faith? We see deep, sincere, head and heart faith in Christ, that it's important, that it's necessary. But what does our faith look like? What does believing in Jesus mean for us, for our neighbors, for our families? Here are some of the questions I think that can help us understand what real faith in Christ means. Have you come or are you at a point in your life where you can come to Jesus because of your sin or your self-righteousness or your guilt or your shame or you being exhausted from trying to pretend like you have your life all together? That you, you, you admit that you can't handle all that life throws at you. And even your own personal struggles. Have you fallen on your face before Jesus, admitting that you can't do it anymore, that you can't fix yourself, that you can't control other people? Has that end of your rope experience driven you to Jesus Christ? Driven you to say, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. If you're willing... You can make me whole. You can make me clean. If we come to him like that, I'll give you a glimpse. This passage gives you a glimpse of how Jesus will respond. He responds in grace. That's the third point of the sermon. Grace. It's a Christian word we use so much. It's a buzzword, but it's vitally important to remember because it's central to Jesus' mission. It's it's central to the heart of Christ and our mission in this world to other people. Grace means unmerited favor. Not earned, not deserved, loving kindness and compassion. And Christ expressed grace to this leper. This man could not buy Jesus' favor, favor, but he humbled himself and boldly asked for help. And Jesus poured out his grace. And that grace is expressed, first of all, in a touch. He touched him, the Bible says. Verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. It is powerful grace. Um, I have a joke with my children. A joke, kind of, not so much a joke, where I... uh, I smother them with hugs and affection every now and then. Um, And I say, it looks like you haven't had enough hugs today. And then I, you know, they fight and kick and push and say, Dad! Um, But it's kind of a joke. 
But it's kind of true. We need physical touch and affirmation in our lives. Think about how much a hug, how much a hand held, how much a pat on the shoulder means to you when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when you're afraid. Did you know that this man probably had zero human contact for who knows how long? If anyone had touched him, you know what would have happened? They would have become unclean like him. And they could have caught the leprosy that he carried. Ceremonially, they would have been unclean. And and physically, they may have become sick with the same disease that he had. This snapshot from Jesus' portfolio of grace shows us that Jesus reached out his hand and touched Instead of Jesus being defiled by his leprosy, Jesus, the God-man, God in the flesh, made him whole by his supernatural power. We don't know the details. He may have touched him on the head. He may have touched him on the shoulder. It's not in the text, but I've got to believe personally that this touch also included a hug and tears of joy. As this man was healed, Jesus has powerful grace. He had it for him and he has it for us. It's also willing grace. Willing grace, not will and grace. Willing grace. He not only reached out and touched this man, he spoke words of grace. I will, I am willing. He's essentially saying, you're right. I can heal, I will heal. And in in a moment, Jesus washed away his uh, uncleanness. One of the things we learn about Jesus in the Gospels is that he heals people from their diseases and sickness so that he can get at their heart. He wants them not only to be healed, but to believe in Christ. And the same is true for us. He's willing to give grace for us to believe in him. It's also ongoing grace. Um, He said, tell no one... But go and show yourself to the priest. We don't know what to do with this part of the passage. We don't understand this section. Don't tell anyone but go to the priest. There are a couple things going on here. One is called the self-disclosure of Jesus. That's what theologians call it. That Jesus' hour hadn't come. And he would reveal himself in his way on his terms. So he told this man, don't tell people yet. The second part, it says, go and show the priests. Why would he go to the priests? Well, they were the ones who would declare, who would make the judgment that someone no longer had leprosy. So he'd go and they'd see that his skin was clear. And you know, one of the first questions they would ask, how did this happen? You were full of leprosy. How are you better? How are you healed? And he'd say, Jesus of Nazareth healed my body and my soul. And it would be a testimony against him. 
so that they couldn't stand in self-righteousness and say, this Jesus guy, he's some uh, you know, crazy guy from Galilee. No, that Jesus Christ did it. And they would testify of it themselves. But you know what we learn about this man? He didn't keep his mouth shut. In the other Gospels, it says that he went and told people. And even here, it says that he told people and the reports about Jesus grew more and more. And there's part of us that understands this. His life had totally changed. People may not have even recognized him anymore. And he told them that Jesus did it. But he did disobey. So what did Jesus do to him when he messed up? Did he give him the leprosy back? Did he hit hit him with something else difficult and challenging in his life just to show him never to mess up again? No. Jesus' grace is ongoing. It was for him and it is for us. Jesus' grace is powerful for us this morning. Have you ever been tempted to think that you've done too much? That your sins and your scars and your baggage and the record is just too big. It's too much for Jesus to wipe away. I bet the leper felt that way. But he asked and he pleaded because of the pain in his life. There was an opportunity for him to realize that he couldn't do it himself. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. You've probably already heard about this. Uh, but... Um, Did you know where the the casket for Billy Graham came from? It came from Angola. You know, the the prison. And uh, it was made by inmates. Do you know why? Billy Graham wanted people to know that no one is beyond the scope and reach of God's grace. Someone from the prison said it like this. It's so symbolic. Even those prisoners, even these prisoners who have committed horrible crimes, God loves them too. I don't care who you are or what you've done. The grace of God is powerful enough to forgive and cleanse and heal you. It's also willing grace for us. He wants us to come to him and call out to him. This past Christmas, my niece was trying to open one of her toys. And I don't know if you've realized this or recognized this lately, but you need bolt cutters to open most toys these days. Or some kind of, you know, electrical device. And so uh, she got this toy and she struggled with it a bit. And then she even got the scissors, which made me a control freak so nervous And then she simply handed it to me and said, I need help. What do you think I said? No way, kid. (laughs) Figure it out yourself. I'm not here to serve you. Open your own toys. No, I gladly took that toy and ripped apart the wrapper. Why? Well, she, she knew that I would help her. She knew that I was willing. She knows that I love her. 
Ask God for help. Ask Him for grace. He can help. He's willing. He loves you. If, you. if we humble ourselves and ask for grace and mercy, Jesus loves to give it away. And this is one snapshot, one page from the portfolio of amazing grace. And it's not just from the Bible. It's from the, the annals of history. Throughout the ages, He is willing be cleansed. And there's ongoing grace for us. One of the hardest things about being a Christian in a relationship with Jesus Christ is when we fail. Is when we fall. We still struggle. We sin. One of the hardest things is when we live and act in ways that are not in line with the gospel and we really should know better. There's ongoing grace for you. When we fall and fail, when we try to take control of our lives, there's ongoing grace for us from the heart of Jesus, from the throne of God. Bob Flayhart is a pastor in Birmingham, and he calls this the waltz with Christ. I know nothing about dancing, but apparently the waltz is a three-step. And he calls us to waltz in grace. First step, repent of our sin, acknowledge it, confess it, turn from it. Step two, believe that we're forgiven and accepted and beloved and that there is ongoing grace for us. Step three, fight. Use the ongoing grace of Jesus to actively put away sin and put on righteousness. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. There is ongoing grace for us. A lot of you know this, but uh, my dad passed away about five months ago. It'll be five months, um, Tuesday uh, of this week. And as you can imagine, photos of my dad mean more to me now than they ever have. And when I look at pictures of him, each picture shows a different part of his life. Some of them of, of his laugh, some of him serious, some of him with a look on his face that he's just about to say something really funny. And uh, all those pictures are a portfolio for me to think about and remember my dad. We have in God's Word page after page, picture after picture, photo after photo of the amazing, incredible, powerful love and grace of God for us. We should want to know more, to see and read and, and feed on and digest and pour over the life of Christ and the love of God. May God strengthen us to see the opportunities in our lives that move us toward faith in Him so that we can receive His grace over and over again. Let's pray.